0: There's been a lot of talk in the the news and media about COVID-19 and disease and uh, vaccinations. Well, I'm here today to talk about a more serious disease. That's the disease of heresy and the damage that it does to the body of Christ. And I'm submitting to you from the Apostle Paul that if we have a right understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done, we will be protected from the disease of heresy. We're going to see three things today. Uh, Please open with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 through chapter 2, verses 14. We're going to see three things. We're going to see Paul's mission, Paul's concern for the Colossian church, as well as his solution to that concern of heresy sneaking into the church. I'll read, reading from the NASB. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself." in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you've been made complete. He's the head over all rule and authority. And in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would uh, guide my mouth. Let me say only what you would have me to say. Let us be receptive to your word today, God, so that we can apply its truth to our lives. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Paul's Paul's mission. Verse 28 says, we proclaim him. We proclaim Christ. That's what Paul is saying. How? Admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Admonishing has in view the things that are wrong and calls for warning. Teaching has in view the impartation of truth. So what Paul is saying is, with wisdom, he warns every man against that which is wrong and teaches every man the truth about Jesus Christ, so that we may present every man complete or mature or full-grown in Christ. That word present pictures a a father giving his daughter away at her wedding day. Paul says that the Holy Spirit has enabled him and equipped him for this purpose that he he works so mightily for. And Paul has always been concerned about believers growing in the knowledge of Christ. He knows that the comprehension of divine truth concerning Jesus Christ is necessary for spiritual growth. Look what he says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. We have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. In Ephesians, he prays to God that he would grant the Ephesians a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And in Philippians, verses 9 and 10, chapter 1, he says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So Paul again knows that the apprehension of divine truth concerning Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done, is necessary for spiritual growth. So any worldview or any human tradition that's contrary to that, Paul has a problem with You would understand why he would feel agitated to to write this letter to the Colossians. Look what he says in chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Paul had never visited the church in Colossae. Uh, Colossae was located in the Lycus Valley in Phrygia. And the religion in Colossae was much like the culture, it was a mix of Greek philosophy, uh, Jewish legalism, and Oriental mysticism. This is the environment that the Colossians were in. But note what Paul is hoping for and praying for for them. He prays that their hearts may be encouraged, and he prays that they gain all the riches that come from full confidence in understanding God's truth concerning Christ. The truth about Christ centers around his deity and the sufficiency of his work. That's important. I'm gonna say it again. I don't want you to miss that. Paul is praying that they gain all the riches that comes from full confidence in understanding God's truth concerning Jesus Christ. And the truth about Christ centers around his deity and the sufficiency of his work. When I think about some of the riches that we as believers have, uh, when we're fully confident in who Jesus is and what he's done, immediately what comes to mind is the peace of God. Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven says, "'Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.'" So when we as believers are fully confident in who Jesus is and what he's done, We're not anxious for anything. We're trusting in Christ. We we may have concerns, but we make those requests known to God. As a result of that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards and protects our hearts and minds. That's a treasure that we have in Christ. Pastor Rob's been doing Hebrews uh, with us now uh, for a little over a year, but when he went to Hebrews chapter 4, he talked about how Jesus Christ is the Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's another treasure that we have as believers who are trusting in Jesus Christ, who are fully confident in who he is. We have rest in Christ. It's the same Christ who, verse 3 says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So you want to know how to live with wisdom? True wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. He is the all-sufficient source of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4 says, I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. Which argument true? What are you talking about? At the end of the chapter, Paul says, Why do you submit yourselves to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So keep that in mind. You have the decrees that come from human or sourced in human tradition. They give the appearance of wisdom, but they are of no value. Whereas a person who is fully confident in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He has all the riches of peace with God, rest, wisdom, and knowledge. Verse five, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Like I said, Paul had never met the Colossian church, but he's heard good things about them. He's heard about their faith. He's heard about their love for the saints and he knows that they're bearing fruit. And what he's saying here is he's excited. He's rejoicing to see their good discipline and the stability of their faith in Christ. Those terms, good discipline and the stability of their faith in Christ, he's using in a military sense. It's like uh, every year when we have the tattoo, independence tattoo on July 9th at the fort. At some point during that service before the dogs come out and and chase the defense force officers, uh, the governor general will make her way down onto the field. And she's going to walk with either the commissioner of police or the commodore of the defense force. And they're going to do like an inspection of the guard and she's going to walk through and inspect them. That's the same idea that Paul has here in the text. He's saying he wants to see them in good order, well-disciplined and unwavering in their adherence to Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 6. Therefore, as you've received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. So how did the Colossians receive Christ? Chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. The gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world, also is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood it as the grace of God in truth. So what the Colossians have done is they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and Paul is encouraging them to walk it out. In the same manner that they had received Christ, after being thoroughly grounded in the truth of Scripture and growing spiritually, Paul is encouraging them to live with discipline and with an unwavering adherence to Jesus Christ, just as they were taught to do with gratitude. Believers are to walk in newness of life, after the Spirit, in honesty, by faith, in good works, in love, in wisdom, in truth, after the commandments of the Lord, and not after the flesh, not after the manner of men, not in craftiness, not by sight, not in the vanity of the mind, not disorderly. Let's keep that in mind as we go into verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Note what's happening here. Philosophy or speculation and empty deception, which come from human tradition, which comes from the elementary principles of the world, lead to captivity. But the person or the believer who is fully confident in the person and work of Jesus Christ, he should be stable. He should be unwavering in his adherence to Jesus Christ. So if he's unwavering, he's not able to be shaken and pulled into captivity by heresy. That's what Paul's saying here. The elementary principles of this world, scholars um, have debated what that means. some think that it just has to do with very ancient uh, teachings that behemoths would say, these teachings have just been with us from time. Other scholars say, no, we think it actually refers to uh, demons. Uh, and they would refer to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Personally, I'm not sure which one is meant, uh, but I am convinced that the truth of the passage is saying that ultimately, whether it's from demonic activity or source in human tradition, that it's not from Christ, and that's the problem. Listen to some of the teachings that the Colossians were facing. Some of this is ridiculous the necessity of dietary restrictions, festival, new moon, and Sabbath observations, delighting in self abasement, angel worship, and mystical experiences. Now, note Paul's solution to this, this problem that they're facing. Verse nine, he starts off with the word for. As Pastor Rob and Pastor Lee have taught us before, when we see the word for, we know that the reason for what he's just said is about to be given. So the reason why the believer should be firm, unwavering in their adherence to Jesus Christ, fully convinced of his person and work, not being pulled off into heretical teachings and heresy is for this reason here. In him, that's in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Hebrews chapter one, verse three says, he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. If you were a first century Colossian or Ephesian, and you heard he is the radiance of his glory, Jesus referring to in, in that passage, you would automatically think about the sunlight and sun. Everything that you would know about the sun is because of sunlight. The fact that you could see the sun is because of sunlight. The fact that you can feel heat outside is because of sunlight so when this verse says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory, just as sunlight shines forth from the sun, so Jesus Christ so outrays the splendor of the character of God. He is able to make visible with exceptional clarity that which otherwise would be impossible for us to comprehend. John chapter 1, verse 18 says, "'No one has seen God at any time, "'but the only begotten God, "'who is in the bosom of the Father, "'he has explained him.'" The reason why Jesus is able to explain God The reason why he's able to outray and shine forth the glory of God's character is because as verse three says in Hebrews one, he's the exact representation of his nature. He is by his very nature, all that God is by his very nature, his deity is present in Jesus Christ. Don't ever forget that. That's a truth that needs to be taught everywhere, every day. He's the exact representation of his nature. He's able to, he's from the same substance as the father. The complete essence of God is in Christ. The internal evidence in this chapter suggests that the Colossians were probably dealing with an early form of uh, Gnosticism. For those of you who don't know, Gnosticism um, was a dualistic worldview. Um, Gnostics believed that the world was divided into the physical and spiritual realms. The created material world was evil, and therefore in opposition to the spiritual realm. So some Gnostics came to believe that Jesus actually appeared to have human form but it was actually spirit only. That's why I think the text says, that, that's why I think the text stresses that the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And then at the end of the chapter, when it talks about self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, you may think, well, who treats their body badly? Gnostics had this belief that the physical body was evil. Other Gnostics came to believe that his divine spirit came upon, human, came upon his human body at baptism and departed at his crucifixion. But that's not what the text says. The fullness of deity, all that God is in his deity, dwells, present tense, in bodily form. So in this one verse, you have the deity of Christ and his humanity in one. Hypostatic union right there. I would submit to you today that most cults have a diminished view of the nature of Jesus Christ. Islam says he's a prophet. He's not divine. Jehovah's Witnesses say that he's the Archangel Michael. And when someone diminishes, the person of Christ that usually leads to diminishment of his work. Verse 10: "And in him you've been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority." What does that mean? He's been made us complete. Peter says it this way. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. "His divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of Him who's called us by his own glory and excellence. In Christ we have the indwelling Holy Spirit who teaches us how to live out the truth of scripture. We have everything that we need in Christ. He is sufficient. Verses 11 and 12. And in him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. What Paul is telling the Colossians here is that our spiritual procedure has been done to them by Jesus Christ, Jesus is the doctor. And what's happened is that the circumcision of the flesh is the cutting away of the flesh's dominating influence on their lives. Believers have literally been identified with Christ in his death and raised up to walk in newness of life by faith in Christ. Verse 13, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, What Paul is telling them is before you became a believer in Christ, there was a chasm of sin that separated you as a sinner from holy God. Isaiah says it this way in chapter 59, verse 2. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he doesn't hear. So we as sinners, we were alienated from God. This is what Paul is saying. You were alienated from God in your own sin and under the dominating influence of your sinful nature. But God has forgiven us well, you may be wondering, what's the basis of that forgiveness? Why, why should God forgive us? Verse 14. Having cancelled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Got a little handout here. A certificate of debt. Sin. 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 Of which we are guilty of. And the payment for that, that God requires, is Death. And if we die in the state of not being reconciled to God, we'll be in eternal debt. Nothing can be done about that. But if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, the debt is canceled. God has put it all on Jesus Christ. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he meant he brought it to completion. So you could say in a sense it means paid in full. Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sins. Nothing more needs to be done. All these decrees that the Colossian church was facing and some of the things you probably hear about today. Uh, you need to keep the commandments. Um, you need to uh, do X and Y in order to be saved or to continue to be sanctified. That's not what this text says. Jesus Christ sufficiently paid the penalty for sin. For those of us in Christ today, the same is true about our certificate of debt. It's nailed to the cross, out of the way, so that Thing that's in the chasm, it's nailed to Christ's cross. Jesus paid it all. Reminding, I'm reminded of the words of a song, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, Nailed to Christ's cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh my soul. The all-sufficient work, of Jesus on the cross, ensures that we as believers can be reconciled to God. Sorry. We are complete in the sense that we have everything that we need in Jesus Christ. The reason why this bugs me so much. I, I have family members that They have a godly heritage. They know the truth. They don't believe it. They think that they need to follow um, traditions of men, ungodly men, unprincipled men. And, and, And the problem really is they actually think that they're genuine believers. They believe that. That's why it's important that if you know Jesus Christ, you share the message you don't just say like hey I'm I'm saved I got fire insurance and I'm, I'm good you have children cousins I have a cousin today doesn't believe the truth but thinks that he's a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ how he doesn't believe in the deity of Christ nor the sufficiency of his work we come from the same line my grandmother Joyce Fowler she's a descendant of his how What happened? He doesn't believe the truth. So any kids here today, if you have kids, you have cousins, you have co-workers, tell them the truth. Don't let them believe heresy. It's damning. People go to hell for this. A diminished view of Jesus Christ will not lead to us as believers being full-grown in Christ. Let's grow up in Christ, accepting the truth about him, and let's walk in it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for the truth of it. Please help it to marinate in our thoughts and help us to apply it to our lives. We know that you are the all-sufficient Christ and Lord of us all. Please be with us as as we go, take us safely home, and let us share the truth. As I pray in Christ's name, amen.